quick note on wisdom, as we heard from the first reading. It's a beautiful reading. And wisdom is a spirit, intelligent, holy, unique, manifold, subtle, agile, clear, unstained, certain, not baneful, loving, the good, keen, unhampered, beneficent, kindly, firm, secure, tranquil, all-powerful, all-seeing, and perverting all spirits, though they be intelligent, pure, and very subtle. Remember a few days ago, talked about how St. Augustine talked about this, how to go from faith to faith, first, namely, the faith by which we serve God to that whereby we enjoy Him. So the movement that he encourages us, to, St. Augustine encourages us to make. Not just a faith to serve God, that's good, that's a step, but towards a faith where we enjoy God. And then he continues, as if he says, after that I have been delighted with the work of thy preaching, refreshed, etc., etc., then at length thou shalt go and feast thyself everlastingly with the eternal banquet of wisdom. So that's the fruit of having a faith that enjoys a relationship with God. Okay, but that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about St. Gertrude. St. Gertrude, our great, our great saint here today. In fact, she is known as St. Gertrude the Great. One of the very few in the history of the church to have that title. It's not an official title. It's not, there's no process for it. Just kind of popularly the devotion grows and then, and then it sticks. She was a Benedictine sister, virgin, mystic, abbess. In one of, and I'll get into this, but in one of the apparitions of Jesus, Jesus called her my chosen lily. Jesus said to her, my chosen lily. And of course, St. Gertrude has a, has a special place in our hearts here in Idaho. There, we have a great monastery, a great convent under her patronage, patronage St. Gertrude's Monastery up in Cottonwood. And she lived from 1256 to 1302. So she died at fairly young age, 45, 46 years old. She was possibly an orphan at a young age, we don't know for sure, but her, one of her older sisters, who later became a nun and became a saint, a canonized saint, took care of her at, an, at a young age, and so raised her at a young age. But then she entered the convent at age 10. So she was 10 years old when she entered the convent. 14 years later, when she was 24, she experienced a crisis. And she said this about reflecting back on this time. She said, May my soul bless you, O Lord God, my created. May my soul bless you. From the very core of my being, may all your merciful gifts sing your praise. Your generous care for your daughter has been rich in mercy. Indeed, it has been immeasurable. And as far as I am able, I give you thanks. I praise and glorify your great patience which bore with me even though from my infancy and childhood, adolescence and early womanhood until I was nearly 26, I was always so blindly irresponsible. Looking back, I see that but for your protecting hand, I would have been quite without conscience in thought, word or deed. It struck me that she was talking about how irresponsible she was until her early adulthood while she had been living in the convent for 15 years, from ages 10 to 25 or so. She was reflecting back on that age, saying, I was so irresponsible, blindly irresponsible. And at this time, she underwent a crisis, and she came out of it kind of the great mystic, and I'll, I'll go into that here, but that's just a reminder for us, you know, the religious life, it's, you know, we can do religious things, 
and not really have our hearts centered upon the Lord. We can even be in a convent, in a monastery, and not have our hearts centered upon the Lord. And she was going about being selfish and focusing on the things of the world and not focusing on the Lord. Until this time, about 25 years old. So after this crisis, she began having visions of Jesus, of Mary, and of many saints, especially St. John the Baptist. She received visions of the Sacred Heart, the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Of course, the Sacred Heart, that devotion is mostly attributed to St. Mary, Margaret Mary Alacoque. But this was 350 years before that. She said, Christ's heart poured, poured forth, or not, she said, somebody else said this about, about that. Christ's heart poured forth a redemptive fountain through the wound in his side, an image culminating in its most famous articulation by Bernard of Clairvaux in his commentary on the Song of Songs. So Bernard of Clairvaux was a writer, also a Benedictine monk, but he wrote these, these commentaries on the Song of Songs, including these visions of the Sacred Heart or these descriptions of the Sacred Heart. And St. Virtue the Great was deeply immersed in his writings. St. John the Baptist, in one of the visions, placed her head on his chest, on Christ's chest, and she could feel his heart pulsing. She went on to describe her relationship with Christ as a nuptial relationship, nuptial mysticism, as has come to be called, seeing herself as the bride of Christ, as the bride of Christ. And of course, today we take it for granted that nuns are brides of Christ, but it wasn't always sold. The bride of Christ is primarily the church. That's the image that the, the apostles, that the scriptures gave us. The church is the bride of Christ. But then St. Bernard of Clairvaux started writing that the soul is the bride of Christ. So each one of us, our souls, is a bride of Christ. We are invited to have this nuptial relationship with Christ. And then in a special way, religious sisters, nuns, and especially through the devotion of St. Gertrude the Great, are also brides of Christ. So she saw herself as so. She's also known for her writings and visions about purgatory, so especially relevant to us in November. And she, she, there's this prayer attributed to her. Eternal Father, I offer you the most precious blood of your divine Son, Jesus, in union with the Masses said throughout the world today. We pause here for a moment. You hear echoes already of the prayer in the Divine Mercy Chaplet. But there's something here that I like better. I offer you the most precious blood of your divine Son in union with the Masses said throughout the world today. That phrase is not in the Divine Mercy Chaplet. I've always been a little uncomfortable. I mean, I pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet from time to time. I'm not discouraging that. But I've always been uncomfortable with that line. I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ without any reference to the Mass. That's, that can, if, we're, if, we're not, if we don't understand that properly, that can lead us astray. Here we have the Mass. I offer you the most precious blood of your divine Son in union with the Masses said throughout the world today for all the, soul, for all the holy souls in purgatory, for sinners everywhere, for sinners in the universal, universal church, for those in my own home and in my own family. Amen. Now this prayer is attributed to her. The prayer is good. But there's this legend that started surrounding this prayer, which is that Jesus had appeared to her and said, 
Each time you say this prayer, a thousand souls will be released from purgatory. The moment I read that, I said, that sounds a little strange. That doesn't sound uh, Catholic, to be honest. It sounds superstitious. And so I looked into it, and sure enough, that is not, that's a legend. That's not in anywhere in her, in her writings. And in fact, Pope Leo XIII had recently before that prohibited similar practices, similar notions of do this and so many souls will be released from purgatory. Now, so, something that is found in her writings is the tradition of offering Gregorian masses, so, which is 30 consecutive masses for a particular person who has died, who is perhaps in purgatory. So to go to, it's hard to do in a parish because we have lots of, lots of different families asking for mass intentions. But in a monastery, that's more common to go to a monastery and ask it like 30 consecutive masses offered. This is Gregorian masses and it dates back to St. Gregory the Great. That's approved. Okay, she also received a stigmata. She bled seven times a day, a lot of suffering. Well, I'm already at nine minutes. You guys that have to go to work are like, come on, let's go. Okay, I'll just fast forward to the end. So in our, in our divine office, we have this beautiful prayer here that can combine St. Gertrude, Jeremiah, and Hosea. And so I'll read this. But I encourage you to look into her and get to know her a little better. St. Saint Gertrude the Great. But this prayer goes, The Lord loved Gertrude with an everlasting love. From her childhood, he drew her to himself and led her into the wilderness. There he spoke tenderly to her. He espoused her to himself forever in faith and in love. From her childhood, he drew her to himself and led her into the wilderness. There he spoke tenderly to her. And this is, of course, the invitation to each of us. God is drawing us to himself into the wilderness to to speak tenderly to us. St. Gertrude the Great.